Thanks, Stuart. Thank you very much. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, before I get into what I believe God has uh, put on my heart uh, uh, for me to share with you today, I want to read a scripture. And as I do, pray that God speaks to us through it and, um, and through what I'm about to share. So the scripture is in uh, Luke 9, verses 11 to, uh, sorry, 18 to 27. And uh, they're up on the screen. When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man um, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Well, when I was younger, computer games were only just coming onto the market. And uh, they looked a little different to the games that we see now. Uh, the graphics were unrealistic. The games took a, uh, a lifetime to load via cassette recorder, if you can uh, remember those. And, um, uh, and once they'd loaded, you did all you could to, uh, to keep your computer from crashing uh, because you'd have to load the game in all over again and it would take half an hour or so to do that. Uh, but one of the predecessors of computer games um, uh, were adventure books. And uh, here, here's how they worked. In the beginning of chapter one, you'd read a paragraph um, and it contained a scenario. And you'd be presented with four or five different options on how you'd like to proceed um, through the scenario. So the scenario might be that you're standing at a crossroads. And uh, do you want to A, turn left, B, turn right, C, straight ahead, or D, turn back the way you came? And uh, you had to decide which way to go, and uh, different options told you to turn to different pages in the book uh, to read what happens next because of the choice you just made. And in a sense, the passage we've just read is very similar to that. Jesus lays before his disciples a question, a choice they have to make right there and then. Uh, who do you say I am? And it's a choice, I believe, that's laid before each one of us continually in this life fresh every morning, who do we say Jesus is? And who do you say I am is a great question Jesus asked because it's a, a where's your heart sort of question. Um, and Peter answers it straight from his heart, God's Messiah. Uh, and expanding out Peter's response, he's saying, I believe you're the one sent from God, the one who is to redeem us from our sins. And who do you say he is is one of the world's most important questions, if not the most important question. And many here have been asked and have responded to this question. 
uh, for many of us, we'd respond the same way as Peter. We'd say, yeah, Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior, my God, my brother, my King, or, or, or other names and, and descriptions to that effect. Um, so the question is relatively easy for most Christians to answer. Who is Jesus? At least in our, uh, in our limited understanding, because we're going to see him in a much bigger glory uh, when, when the time comes. And it ticks the sort of correct box, if you like, that makes us feel good, gives us a reassurance that we got the most important question and answer in the world correct. All right? Yeah, good. So I'm glad we can answer who that is correctly. But just before we, we settle back and comfortable and satisfied in the answer, can I ask one more question? How's living it out going? You see... Straight after Jesus asked a question on um, who he is, he spelt out the cost of recognizing this. He didn't sell a cheap and shallow discipleship. Jesus wasn't interested in making disciples that were lukewarm. They were in it, that were in it for as long as it went well. He spelt out the cost of living out discipleship very graphically. He said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So what is taking up our cross daily? What does a cross mean in this particular context? Well, Jesus is referring to some key points around denying yourself, our daily living and recognizing who he is. But in biblical times, taking, your, taking up your cross was seen as a one-way walk. If a man was seen leaving his village with a Horizontal bar of the cross strapped across his back, his arms stretched wide. He knew he wasn't coming back. Jesus knew this. It was very likely that he'd seen the remains of crucifixions as he traveled around Israel. A stark foretaste to him of what he was to face. And yet he calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. And we're not literally called to be crucified. And our sufferings when we take up a cross do not pay the price for our sins or buy us anything. Jesus did all of that. And we're called to take it up daily, which still implies us living, but living differently, living for Jesus in all we do. Denying yourself is a, a countercultural thing to request people do. Uh, and not particularly attractive from a marketing perspective either. To give up your life, to surrender your rights, to surrender yourself, your desires, your urges, your lifestyles, your finances and so much more over to Jesus. And yet he still calls us to deny yourself, pick up your cross and to follow him daily. Jesus is leading us into a lifestyle that is amazing though. Where the very presence of God in our day transforms us and others where miracles happen, where people get saved, but it involves choices, challenge and surrender as we learn to die to self and to live for him. And the process of discipleship can be painful. The molding, the shaping, the training of our hearts to focus on him is hard. Paul to the church in Galatia sets the bar for us when he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Can we say that? Good. When Jesus is challenging us to pick up our cross and follow him, Jesus is asking, who's running your life? Who's at the helm? Is it you or Jesus? So I want to share three reasons why Jesus took up the cross of many and how he modelled that so we can pick up our cross. Jesus took up the cross to release us from being controlled by sin and the grip sin has on our lives. When we take up our cross daily, we are free from the bondage to sin. Jesus went before us and broke the hold of sin and death. There is no sin, no bondage that you cannot be free from the control of if you follow Christ. And of course, this means that there's no sin or bondage that others can't be free from because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus crucified and resurrected is an amazing encouragement for those around us that need freedom at this time. Secondly, Jesus took up his cross so the world might be reconciled to God and have life. When we take up our cross daily, we become a part of God's plan for the world to be reconciled to him. The cross speaks of salvation and reconciliation with God, of hope that all is not lost, of hope that says over and above all the madness of this world, over and above all the insanity we see in politics and countries and families, all of that, over all of that, stands a cross. And when it all gets too much, where there's nowhere else to turn, when life gets heavy and all hope is lost, the cross remains. It stands as a center point of history, calling all people to come. Jesus took up his cross so that ultimately the Father may be glorified through Jesus and through us. We're called to raise the prominence of Christ publicly so that much of our own, li- uh, so much that our own lives become little or no value to us. When we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we're living out the reality that God gave us life to show that God is more important than the life he gave us. Do we live like that? Do we live like God is more important? than the life he gave us. We're created to glorify God by a lay, displaying a laying down of our lives in this world, becoming radiant with his love and presence and living openly for him. So this laying down of our lives and um, knowing Jesus leads to us being more radiant. Paul to the Corinthians writes uh, about making Jesus Lord and having God's presence in us. In 2 Corinthians 4, he writes this, For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Know Jesus, writes Paul. And by this, he doesn't mean know him as a a historical character or know lots of facts about him. He means knowing him in the biblical says, sense. That is to enjoy a continuing, ongoing, committed intimacy with him. Enjoy life day in, day out with him. Paul says, know Jesus and you'll radiate the glory of God from your heart. So the cross frees us from the power of sin that would stop us turning to Christ. And in Jesus' name, we can be free from the power of sin. The cross allows us to accept the offer of reconciliation to God because of Jesus we can know God again. 
And then finally, the cross calls us into a life knowing God, intimately walking daily with him. And our hearts being so full that we radiate the glory of God to those around us, shining into dark places as we go. So after calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him, Jesus then goes on to say this. For whosoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And we live in an age right now where we have a wildly diverse range of choices. We can get hold of money to do what we want. A lot of behaviours are more socially acceptable. We can go most places around the world pretty cheaply. We know our rights and the culture is that we maximise our rights. Life, if we want it, on a pretty shallow level is, is good. We can choose to get bigger houses, better cars, more holidays, more free time, more me time. There are many ways which we can choose life ourselves and aim to live comfortable, content and protected from any challenge on our lifestyles. For the Christian, this is a tempting way to live in our society. Now, Jesus isn't saying, don't have a house, don't have money, don't have anything. I believe Jesus is dealing with something far deeper than these shallow things in life. He's talking about the life in our very souls and how we let that life flow out and overflow into other areas of life. Jesus is more concerned on whether we have an unhealthy attachment to these shallow things and whether we prioritize them over a relationship with him. The scriptures say that God is a jealous God. Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And I can't help wondering if Jesus could be asking, what are you looking to for reassurance, peace, and fulfillment in life? Because it's me, Jesus said. Anything that you're looking for, looking to that replaces Jesus for satisfaction is an idol. And it's a false idol that delivers false satisfaction that will fail you and it will fail to glorify God. Jesus said that saving your own life leads to death. Losing your life for Jesus leads to life. So I'd like to look at a few ways we can try and save our own lives. So briefly, firstly, being aware of the battle in our own hearts between what Scripture says and what we say and letting the us win over Scripture. Secondly, refusing to introduce Jesus to others when we know they need him. That is, being more concerned about how we might feel or look rather than how God might be glorified and how they might be reconciled to him. A third way we can try and save our own lives is in our finances. Do we choose comfort in life over living slightly less comfortable for the sake of the gospel? Do we hold on to finances controlled by fear or loss, fear of loss or do we trust in God to supply our needs? It's not so much the finances, but the state of heart that I believe is the main concern here. We make choices based on our state of heart, and Jesus wants us to make choices out of our heart, focused and living for him. And fourthly, we can try and save our own lives by building security in things outside of God. I have to keep asking, is my heart trusting God for the future, or am I secure in my own? God forbid if I lost my faith tomorrow, if it all fell away and I was left standing with just what I have, 
would I be okay? I'd still have my house, my family. Most of us would still have a job. Probably not me. Um, we'd still have money coming in. Our holidays. So what really would be different? I have to say that I think if I think I'd still be okay then, what is my faith now? Are our lives really resting in his hands, folks? Or are we faking it? Are we doing well at looking Christian, but actually below the surface? Are our real foundations based in other things? It's tough. Jesus continues like this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus is saying here, you can have everything and nothing at the same time. You can have all the world offers and in doing so, lose an eternity with him. Part of my own journey to having a relationship with Jesus was trying to gain all this world had to offer me. When I left college, I went to work as a trainee stockbroker. Uh, I lived a lifestyle with a fair amount of cash, parties, popularity, which I thought was living life to the full. Over a year or so, this lifestyle didn't deliver and I felt like there should be more to life, more to gain. So I did some planning, I handed in my notice and I decided to go travelling. And I travelled around various countries in the Middle East and uh, back to the UK and out to India where I designed the ultimate life. Uh, I decided that the very pinnacle of life for me, um, for the gaining of everything I ever wanted, um, was actually to live on a secluded beach in a mental state of complete satisfaction. So I went in search of this in India and I, I headed to a beach in the south of India, two days walk from anywhere, to live the pinnacle of my desires. Um, I lived on the beach for three months. Uh, it was hot. The sun set in the sea each night. There was jungle behind me. It seemed idyllic. But after three months, as I was walking over the cliffs one day to get supplies, I suddenly had the realisation that if this was the pinnacle, then it's a lonely place and there's nothing there. And what I considered the world had to offer me for the ultimate life, in fact, wasn't delivering. So it was at that point I decided to go home. And when I arrived back in the UK, I stayed with my mother and stepfather. And one night, 10pm, on the 14th of January, 1995, alone in my bedroom, the presence of God came into my room and changed my life. I'd searched and searched for the ultimate life looking in all different places and didn't realise until meeting Christ that the ultimate life is not found in a place or in a religion or in a belief structure or in a state of euphoria, in cars, bars or clubs. It's found in meeting Jesus, giving him my life and then living for him. And as his presence entered my room on that evening, I became aware that I was in the presence of such holiness. I didn't even think of what I needed to do. My only response was to drop to my knees, repent and give my life to him. As I wept and repented at his feet, he told me that despite my sin, he loved me. And then he told me to rest. 
Somehow I climbed back on my bed and laid under my covers with Jesus sitting at the foot of my bed. And I slept in peace, the deepest peace I'd ever experienced. And that meeting was the first and last time so far that's happened, folks. 22 years ago. One meeting that changed the direction of my life forever. Transformed, renewed, but having given my life to him, I knew life was going to have to be different. It wasn't until I gave my very self that I gained him. When you give up everything for Jesus, you gain his very presence. Something so precious, so intangibly valuable. But it's only found in the once and for all handing over of your life to him. So Jesus challenged the disciples and challenges the hearer of his words today to take up their cross and follow him, to daily give our lives to him, to to daily, unashamedly display his glory, to unashamedly declare him as Lord and Saviour to those around us. He wraps up these calls to life with this sentence, and it's a tough one. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. when he comes in his glory. Mm. These are tough words, and I don't believe Jesus leaves much room for interpretation here. Are we ashamed to live publicly for Jesus? Do you think you have too much to lose to live publicly for him? Jesus talks in the passage about being ashamed when he comes into his glory. So I'll read a little from Matthew 25 about Jesus coming in his glory. So this is Jesus describing the Son of Man coming in glory and what some of that looks like from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Jesus connects our faith with a public outworking of faith involving others. Being Jesus in the marketplace out there. You see, Jesus is actually saying that evidence of our faith is experienced by others. There's no such thing as just a private faith. In fact, keeping faith private because we're ashamed is wrong, Jesus would say. We need to keep it discreet sometimes. However, We need to challenge ourselves to see if we're ashamed, but dressing it up as wisdom or finding other excuses. The cross wasn't private. The call to be disciples isn't private. The call to make disciples isn't private. And living out our Christian life isn't private. And two places Jesus makes this clear in Scripture very quickly. In Matthew 5, he says, When a city on a hill... 
city on a hill cannot be hidden. And in Luke 8, it says, No one who has a lamp puts it under a basket. And then in this section of Scripture we're looking at today, he says, Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. That's scary for me, folks. I want to have an authentic, real faith that pleases Jesus, not makes him ashamed. It's a challenge for me. Jesus' words cover areas over our whole life. The original context that we spoke about uh, was the public sight of a man carrying his cross literally down the road to his death. We don't have this in the UK at the moment. Although we hear in the news that Christians have been crucified for their faith in Syria and Egypt very recently, and they're just a few hours' flight from here. Paul teaches that one area of our life we may be tempted to be ashamed to live publicly for Jesus is in the sharing of the gospel. And whilst it doesn't say this explicitly in the text, I'm, I want to share this bit with you because I believe that's where, where God is calling us as a church at the moment, to share the gospel with others. And Paul says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Shame in the gospel denies the gospel of power. The refusal to give all to Jesus denies Jesus the opportunity to use all of you. And it seems to me that the scriptures are saying that unless we surrender our life fully to Jesus, then the power of the gospel will not be fully displayed. It's just one area that we are called to live for him. Probably an area we all struggle in at one level or another. By the way, I don't think Jesus was uh, saying this to make us feel ashamed. Um, it's to encourage us and ensure that we're living authentically for him. We have to remember grace for the times we mess up. It's really important. For the times we have regrets on, there's grace. For the times we let God down, if there's regret and a desire to change, then there's God's grace to cover it. Amen? And in the example we've just seen about not being ashamed of the gospel... It's so the power of the gospel can truly be seen. It's not a gauge to see if we're saved or not. It's not to condemn us. It's so lives can be transformed. So people can be saved. So God can be glorified. And when Jesus comes back, it's so he's coming back for a church that is totally living for him. Get courage and challenge to grow in your commitment through this. Not condemnation for what I've been saying, friends. There's an amazing, joyful, abundant life that Jesus offers us if we offer him our all. I want to share one more scripture to encourage you. It's from Hebrews 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run and persevere the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Heaven, friends, is cheering us on in our daily walk with Jesus. Those who have gone before us, who have run the race, are cheering us on, encouraging and calling us to run the race with our eyes fixed on him, to pick up our cross daily and to follow him. They're cheering us on. So in drawing all this to a close, I want to take you back to how we started this morning. 
back to the adventure book where every decision counted. Well, I didn't say that one of the key differences of this type of adventure book compared to a computer game was that you only have one life. If you died in the book, the game ended. Computer games nowadays, you just regenerate, you have more lives, more chances. You don't take the life in the game seriously or treat it as if it was your last chance. And there's a generation growing up today with a sense that there's no consequences to anything. You can live how you want, make whatever choices suit you. And it doesn't matter so long as you don't hurt anyone else. And that's the aim of the game, to accumulate as much as you can before you die. And life is not a reality game with multiple lives. Let's not treat it like one. Your life really matters. Your decisions really matter. How you decide to live it matters. Other people matter. Jesus matters. Taking up your cross daily matters. Brothers and sisters, we only have one life. One shot to either waste it, trying to find happiness outside of God's plans, or to respond to Jesus' command to take up your cross daily and follow him, to be released from the power of sin, to walk life reconciled with God, and to glorify him in all things. We only have one life. And frankly, none of us knows how long it is or whether we'll even wake up tomorrow. One life. What are we doing with it? And I'm not saying it's going to be easy or that we'll get it right the whole time. We mess up sometimes. We suffer discouragements. We may be rejected by those who don't know Christ. We may be tempted to feel foolish as we share the gospel. We may get mocked, but not before Jesus had all these things happen to him and more. And he carried on carrying his cross to Calvary. Jesus himself connects being ashamed of him with judgment day. And there's going to be a day where we're gathered before him. We'll be in his presence and on our knees because of the strength of his glory and his holiness. All will know that he is Lord both believer and unbeliever. To hear the words, you were ashamed of me, so I'm ashamed of you, would be heartbreaking. Because as we're kneeling before him, we will experience more of his presence, more of his power, glory and purity than ever before. And because of his presence, everything in us will be submitted to him. And we'll realize the complete foolishness of choosing our lives over him. And we'll realize that in denying him rather than denying ourselves, we would have saved our life, but we would have lost it. So I believe today there are many here, if not every single person is standing at a crossroads. And there's a decision to make. Maybe God has spoken to you and you're someone that has never given your life to him. But you know he's calling. You're at the crossroads and you need to know that what you decide matters today. A decision now, a releasing of the future into his hands and a giving of your life to God matters. 
Or maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but God's put a challenge on your heart today to pick up your cross more daily. I felt on my heart as I wrote this down that he's challenging us to give it all again. Things may have crept into life that have drowned him out in some areas. I believe he's calling you, calling me to give it all again to him, to fix your eyes again on him. For some, you may have been ashamed of Jesus and his words. And you can feel the challenge from Jesus himself with those weighty words. Whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of him when I come. And that just cuts to the bone. You can do something about it today. Take the opportunity to deal with this now. Because some of us may not have the chance tomorrow. See, you're at the crossroads. And it's decision time. Which way are you going to turn? Are you going to fully surrender to him today or not? There's only two options. Jesus is calling you to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and to follow him unashamedly. Are you going to? Amen.